0: Well, good morning. Uh, Glad to be with you this morning. If you maybe happen not to know it, perhaps you're a guest with us today. Uh, My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. I get a chance to preach um, uh, from time to time. And um, actually, so just this last summer, I had started to step us through a sermon series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go ahead and stick to that this morning. So we'll be into chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to... First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll read from there in just a little bit. If you happen not to have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and I think we'll make sure you get one. But we'll read from there um, in just a minute. And uh, I will say that I'm not sure, but probably just one more uh, sermon after this one, and we'll be done with First Thessalonians. We've been through most of it, getting into chapter 5 now, and uh, we'll try to finish up, I think, with one more sermon. Now, imagine that you wanted to protect your home from a burglar, okay? What, what would you do if you wanted to protect your home from a burglar? I mean, if you knew, th- think if you knew that there was a burglar coming somewhere, you just knew sometime like in the next month. Sometime in the next month, a burglar would uh, find his way to your door. What would you do? Uh, maybe would you uh, Grab a shotgun, maybe you're a hunter and you've got a shotgun in the basement. You grab a shotgun, you pull up a chair, you sit in front of the window, vigilant, and you just wait, right? That's probably not the best strategy, right? If, you're, if you take that tactic, you're, you're, you're uh, pretty isolated, uh, not productive, not helpful, um, and uh, basically a paralyzed kind of existence if that's the way you're going to be vigilant and, and wait. Uh, maybe a better way to go, Um, lock your doors. Uh, Maybe um, get a security system, security cameras, something like that. Something where you're getting prepared for this burglar, but you're also able to get on uh, with with living. Um, So related to that, uh, this passage we're going to look at today uh, actually talks about a future time called the day of the Lord. And uh, in, the, in verse 2 that we'll read in just a minute, it says that this day will come like a thief in the night, like a burglar at night. So uh, I think we, we learn some things here in this passage related to that future time, okay? And I think we learn some things, let's say three things, uh, for the sake of this message. So these will be three parts here. First of all, we learn some things about the experience of that time, In the future, we learn some things about the experience of that time for those who are enemies of God, okay? Number two, we learn some things about the experience of that time for those who are not enemies of God. In other words, those who are God's people. And then number three, and this really, I think, is the main thrust of the passage here. Uh, Number three, we learn about how God's people, that is, Christians, Uh, Those who are following Jesus, we learn some things about how we ought to live in the meantime, okay, until that day of the Lord. We know that that day is coming. Uh, We we know it's coming. Uh, He's he's coming like a thief in the night, perhaps. um, And it would be uh, reasonable to get prepared for that. So, how do we reasonably get prepared for that time? Uh, If, in fact, the light, uh, the, 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 in light of the fact that the Lord is coming, how do we get reasonably prepared for that? So we will uh, read here from First Thessalonians 5, and then we'll dive into those things. So uh, please pray with me first, and then we'll read. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity to um, be gathered here together now, and I would just simply ask for your help, help for me uh, in my task of preaching now, help for everyone else gathered here in the task of listening and engaging with you. Um, As your word is proclaimed, I pray that you would uh, help us to hear from you, and you'd help your word to sink deep into our hearts and take root this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. just as you are doing, Amen. So, um, so we can we can see here the passage uh, does talk about it. It 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 um, gets talking about this. Thing, this idea called the day of the Lord. Okay, Now this idea, idea of the day of the Lord, this is an idea that we see running at various points throughout the Old Testament. It's a very rich theme uh, in the Old Testament, especially uh, among the prophets. And it usually has to do with the, the time when God will bring judgment on his enemies and on his, the enemies of his people, and he will bring rescue or salvation for his people. And often in the Old Testament, the idea is really applied to actual uh, events in history, actual nations in history. A God, God, Again, God judging uh, enemy nations uh, and God saving his people or rescuing his people. But all of those sort of in-history days of the Lord, those really foreshadow, those really point us out to a, a final, ultimate Day of the Lord, when when God will will finally uh, uh, judge in a worldwide way. There will be worldwide judgment on enemies of God and rescue of God's people. And in First Thessalonians here, Paul is is picking up on on this. Paul, I think, is well aware of the Old Testament idea and theme of the king of the of um, the day of the Lord. And he's picking up on the idea here and he's appropriating it now for the church. And he has in mind this ultimate, this final day of the Lord that will come with the return of Jesus. So the day of the Lord here for Paul, that's a day, that's that's a time, that's the event surrounding when Jesus comes back and when God will then finally judge his enemies and save his people. So that in mind, again, I think we, we, we learned some things here about what will be the experience of people um, on that day. And that's going to depend on whether or not a person is one of God's people or counted among God's enemies. And then we're also going to learn, um, in the meantime, being God's people, what do we do in the meantime? How do we reasonably prepare for that day? So we'll look at these things here. So uh, thinking first of all, thinking about the experience of God's enemies here for a few minutes, what do we learn about how those who are not part of God's people will experience that time? If you look at verses 1 to 3 again. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need that to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Okay, so just notice there the, the couple uh, metaphors that Paul uses there. A thief in the night, uh, labor pains. And I think basically what Paul uh, is, is getting at there with these metaphors, actually John Stott, he, um, uh, I think, sums this up pretty well. Let, let him say it. He says, "So putting the two metaphors together, we have to uh, uh, we may say that Christ's coming will be number one, sudden and unexpected, like a burglar in the night, and number two, sudden and unavoidable, like labor pains at the uh, end of pregnancy. In the first case, there will be no warning, and in the second, there will be no escape. OK? So sudden, unexpected, inevitable unavoidable and i would add to that also unwanted and painful um, to, to 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 the experience here um, that will be the experience of those not part of god's people when jesus comes back nobody wants a thief to come and and that's, that's not desired uh labor pains well painful uh that we don't want, and that's painful. And yet, too, this is going to be unavoidable. Verse 3 says they will not escape. And then verse 9 implies that God's enemies are destined for wrath. Uh, meaning they're not God's anger, but meaning, I think, God's objective judgment against his, um, against his enemies, against any of those who are not a part of His people. Uh, it's really a sobering uh, thing to be thinking about Second Thessalonians one actually speaks to this, and over at Second Thessalonians, um, it's another le- letter that Paul wrote to these Christians in Thessalonica, and he, uh, and related to this idea of God's wrath, Paul uses language like this. He he says uh, he uses words like affliction, fire, vengeance, suffering, punishment, eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, that's part of what will come with this day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back. And, and that will be the experience of those who are not God's people through Jesus. Um, again, really uh, sobering to think about this. Uh, and really for these people um, who are not a part of God's people, they, they really can't prepare for this time Really, they're not able to, really. They can't really know when that day is going to come. They can't really know uh, much about that experience. I um, mean, really, they don't actually care. I mean, they don't actually believe in Jesus to begin with, so they don't actually really care about Jesus coming back. Uh, and, and this is part and parcel of their being in darkness, as Paul says here. And really, throughout um, verses 4 through 8, um, all these contrasting pictures that Paul uses here, darkness and light, day and night, asleep, awake, drunk, sober. Um, All of those contrasts really uh, uh, having to do with the idea of alertness, being aware or being not aware. Um, Aware and concerned and anticipating the day of the Lord on the one hand or not aware, not concerned, not anticipating the day of the Lord on the other hand. And so that day will come for those... Um, not of God's people, that day will come at an unexpected time. It will be unwelcomed. It will be painful, but it will be inevitable. That is what is ultimately in store for those who are enemies of God. And, and for those of us who are Christians here today, um, those of us who are trusting in Jesus, those of us who are a part of God's people, this really should be very humbling for us. This should be, this should be deeply humbling humbling for us when we consider what awaits God's enemies. Because the Bible is clear that apart from Jesus, every single one of us is an enemy of God. Every single one of us. We were all natural-born enemies of God. Um, Ephesians 2, Paul says that we were born children of wrath. That's how we were born. Um, uh, Romans 5, he uses the word, we are enemies, or we were enemies of God. But also in Romans 5, Paul goes on to say there that by God's grace, even though we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. And and our our passage here uh, speaks to that as well. Verse 10, Jesus died for us. Paul says, and that then clears the way for us to actually move from being enemies with God to being friends of God, to being part of God's people. And, uh, and now then, as God's people, as God's children, that day of the Lord will be experienced quite differently than it will be for others. So thinking a little bit now about Christians, uh, those who are a part of God's people, it will be pretty much The opposite experience. Okay, Part two here. Christians and their experience. Our experience. Pretty much the opposite experience of others. In other words, it's going to be very welcomed. And it will be a time of relief. And a time of joy. And I think it'll still be sudden. It'll still be surprising, I think, in a way. But not in the same way as it is for um, others. Um, not, Not in the same way. So verse For, again, Paul says that you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And so that day, still going to be sudden for Christians, I think. We're not privy to the precise timing of when Jesus will come back, but at least we do know that he's coming okay, as opposed to those outside the people of God. At least we know that he is coming. And so it won't surprise us in quite the same way. I was was sitting on the couch yesterday and my kids, they were trying to scare me. They were jumping around the corner, you know, and, and boo, you know, you get a little bit startled, you get shocked, maybe your friend does this to you. And there's shock, your adrenaline gets going a little bit, but then pretty quickly that startle, that shock pretty quickly turns to like laughing and giggling and, hey, that was fun. Well, um, that's, a, that's a, a, a little trivial, but it's a little bit, I think, like that when we think about Jesus coming back for Christians. It'll startle us. It'll be shocking. But pretty quickly when we learn what's happening, I think that will turn to exceeding joy. Our Savior is coming back. Um, now, why would that be uh, a reason for exceeding joy? Well, because for Christian, uh, Christians, Jesus coming back means not wrath, but means our salvation. So verse 9 again, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. And so when Jesus comes back, our salvation then will be finally completed, Notice there that he says that when he comes back, or we are destined not just for salvation, but we're destined to obtain salvation. So when Jesus comes back, our salvation will be completed. We're we're saved right now, but we're sort of still being saved. And our salvation is not fully completed. Uh, Verse 10 says that Jesus died for us, meaning that Jesus died for our sins. So he, he died in our place. He took the wrath. This is why we're not destined for wrath. He took the wrath of God that we deserve on himself, that we deserve because of our sin. He took it on himself. And because he did that, then if we'll trust in him for that, then right now we are freed from the penalty of sin, Uh, namely death and separation from God. And right now we are freed from the power of sin, So we're not enslaved to sin anymore. We're not obligated to sin. We don't have to sin, although we will, won't we? Um, Until Jesus comes back, we will struggle uh, with this issue. But we are freed from the power of it. We're not obligated to sin. And right now we have the favor of God. God loves us. We are part of his family. Those are what we have right now as being saved. Uh, and Jesus is coming back. Jesus didn't just die for our sin, but he was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he's coming back. And when he comes back at that time, then we will be completely saved. Then we will, be, we will obtain salvation. Um, then we will be freed not just from the penalty of sin, not just from the power of sin, but also from the very presence of sin, also from the, the consequences, the effects of of sin, the brokenness of sin, we're free from that. And not only will we have favor with God as we have now, but but then uh, we will connect with God in a more intimate and in a more, in a more direct way than we could possibly know right now. Uh, chapter four, verse seventeen says that when Jesus returns, we will always be with the Lord. We are with the Lord to a degree right now. We will be with the Lord in an in a way we can't hardly comprehend. Right now when he comes back. And chapter 5 here uh, in our passage. Verse 10 says we will live with him. This is what's happening when Jesus comes back. So, so the day of the Lord might come like a thief in the night. But it will be a time of relief. A time of joy. And we know this because. Verse 5 again. Paul says you are children of the light. We can know these things. Uh, I think. I think. Because we are children of the light. We're children of the day, he says. We are, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Now I think those are just uh, it's a sim- simply another way of saying that we are God's people. That we are children of God a- a- as Christians. God is, the, uh, God is light, the, the Bible says in 1 John. Um, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And so as we get united to Jesus by faith, then we too become part of that light and we reflect the light of Jesus the way the moon reflects the sun. Uh, In John 12, interestingly, uh, Jesus talking about himself. In John 12, Jesus says, uh, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you can become sons of the light. We, We become children of God by uh, believing in the light of the world, believing in Jesus. And so again, I think this is, is just another way of speaking of God's children, God's people. It's, it's people who trust in Jesus, who is the light of the world, and so we become children of light ourselves. And because of that, because we are children of light, because we're not in darkness, then we're not in darkness with regard to many of God's Designs, uh, his plans, his commands. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, in fact, to enlighten us so that we know some things. We can know some things even about uh, this future time to come, at least in part uh, related to the day of the Lord. And so for us, we know that there's nothing to fear about that day uh, in the future. Uh, We know that it will be relief and joy. We know, in fact, that that's really our greatest hope because it will mean the consummation of our salvation. So now, in the meantime, then, uh, that time is coming, in the meantime, until that day. And I think, uh, this really, I think, is Paul's main thrust of of the passage here. And he urges us simply to wait. Wait for Jesus to come back. You notice verses 5 and 6 again. uh, He says this, For you are all children of light, children of the day, We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then, in other words, because you are children of light, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And then verse 8, he says, just the first part of it, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Okay, so I think that the references here to keeping awake, being sober, the point here is that Paul is, is, is basically saying, be alert, right? Be ready. Be watchful, be self-controlled, be be clear-headed, be aware. All of this stuff in relation to um, Jesus coming back. And what that means, what that essentially means is that we should wait for him. We should live in such a way that we're anticipating Jesus' return. So we keep awake and be sober as children of the light, as we're waiting for the light, Jesus, to come. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we wait for the Lord? How do we anticipate his return? I shouldn't say wait for the Lord. I mean wait for the Lord's return. That's what I mean. How do we wait for the Lord's return? How do we anticipate Jesus coming back? How do we prepare for that in a reasonable way? Okay? Um, it, it's a good question, right? I mean, does it mean like the guy with the shotgun waiting for the burglar? Do we just sort of pull up a chair, grab our Bible, and like look out the window vigilant, and we're just waiting? Well, no, right? That would be a, a paralyzing Uh, life for us that would be unhelpful that would be an isolated life and so what do we do well i think we see the answer here in verse 8 verse 8 again since we belong to the day let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation so i think the answer here as i'm going to flesh it out is not rocket science it's not as complicated as we might think um, to anticipate the return of the lord faith Hope, love, Paul mentions here, and we've seen that triad before, right? Uh, back in chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul is grateful to God for the Thessalonians because of their work of faith, because of their labor of love, because of their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, hope. These are the most, these are the most basic, the most foundational, really uh, absolutely foundational virtues of the Christian life, okay? And it's really another way to speak of the lifestyle that flows out of this this trust in Jesus. It flows out of our love for him and his love for us. It flows out of our confidence in our future with him. And that is a lifestyle of love for others, a lifestyle of good works and of sharing the good news about Jesus. And all of that, Paul is saying that we, we wear that like clothes, uh, breastplate uh, of faith and love. There you see in verse eight, helmet of hope. Well, those are essentially a a Roman soldier's clothes. Okay, and and, and he wears those clothes because he is a soldier. Right. He, he, so he doesn't become a soldier because he puts those clothes on, but he wears those clothes because he is a soldier. And uh, and 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 with us. So we have. Uh, clothes to wear as well as being part of God's people. Because we belong to, to God, we have clothes that he gives us to put on. We have a lifestyle to lead. So we don't belong to God because we live this lifestyle or because we put these things on us, put this clothes on us. No, we put the clothes on, we have the clothes on because we belong to God. And those clothes are, namely, this lifestyle of faith, love, and hope good works, sharing the good news, love for the church, love for the city, and, and, and everything that goes with that. These are the clothes that we, that we wear. That, and that's what it means to keep awake and be sober. That's what it means. That's what it means, essentially, to wait for the Lord to return. It's to walk out this faith, love, hope, lifestyle. Or I think Jesus helps us here very, very much so. In Matthew 24, um, over there, Jesus says this, and it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different, but it really helps to fill this out, I think. Uh, so Jesus is talking about his coming back there, and he says this, verse 42 and following. He says, therefore, stay awake. That sounds familiar. Paul said that. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is returning or coming. But, now th- uh, but know this. Um, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? And here it is. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes Blessed is the servant who's doing what Jesus has asked of him to do when he comes. So in other words, when Jesus comes back, will he find us doing the things that he's asked of us? Will he find us doing that? Will he find us getting about the business that he's called us to? That's what it will mean, essentially, to keep awake and be sober. That's what it will mean to wait for Jesus to come back. That's what it means to anticipate his return it's to be doing what jesus wants of us to be found doing that when he comes back so it's not sitting in our house with the bible open staring out the window it's very active out there doing what our master jesus asks of us um greg Beale says this greg Beale says to be ready for christ's return means that we keep on doing those righteous things that please god keep on living the life that is pleasing to God. That's how we prepare for Jesus to come back. And you know, when, when we don't do these things, um, oftentimes when we, when we disobey Jesus, often we tend to do that, not always, but we can tend to do that to disobey Jesus. When we think that, we kind of have this sense that, well, if I do something over here the way I want to do it, I'm going to somehow get a a fuller sense of life. I'm going to get a little bit more satisfaction out of at least this moment right now if I do it my way rather than doing it Jesus' way. Um, Well, in a sense, I would say that in doing that, we are explicitly not waiting for Jesus to come back. Now, why do I say that? Well, because it's only when Jesus comes back that we will obtain our salvation it's only when jesus comes back that we will obtain the fuller sense of life the deeper satisfaction the fullest life that comes when jesus comes back but we don't want to wait around until then and so we sort of grab at things that we think might be a little bit uh, more satisfying at least in the shorter run and that we get burned we know that from experience So again, to be ready for Christ's return means that we keep on doing those things that Jesus asks of us, hopeful that when he comes back, he will give us everything else. Uh, We will obtain salvation at that time. And so for us here in CRC, we could say it this way in in our church. How do we wait for the Lord to come back? Well, we aim to make disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered community on mission for the glory of God and for the joy of all peoples. right? That's our, our mission statement here uh, with the church. And that is how we will keep awake and be sober. That is how we will anticipate Jesus coming back. That's how we'll be prepared. Um, it, 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 in, in all that is involved in, our, uh, in all of the life together on mission that we do, that's how we will keep awake and be sober. That's how we wait. So in all the ways that we might try to love and, and serve and, and build up our, our, uh, our community here, our life together, and in all the ways that we might try to be on mission, and in all the ways that we might hope to bless our, our neighborhood or our city, all of these are expressions of waiting for Jesus to come back because they're, they're, they're a part of the things that Jesus calls his people to do. Okay, so, so when we share our, our, our sins with each other, when we share our brokenness with each other, when we forgive each other, when we help one another believe the gospel afresh, when we challenge one another to sexual purity or to confidentiality or to hospitality or to justice and, and so on, the list could go on. In all of that, you know what we're doing? We're waiting for Jesus to come back because we're getting on with doing what Jesus our master asks of us. Namely, we're walking in the light, we're loving one another, we're striving for peace. So, getting involved in the mission focus of your life group or helping your neighbor with a yard project, that is a way that you wait for Jesus to come back because it's getting on with what Jesus calls you to do, namely, love your neighbor and be on mission. Or think about where you go for refuge. I had a conversation with uh, somebody this week about this. For relief in difficult times. If you're tired or you're lonely or you're depressed, whatever it might be, where do you run for relief? What's your refuge? Okay, oftentimes for me, I'm tempted to run to food. I'm tempted to medicate, we might say, with food. Um, again, I was talking with somebody about this this week, and I can be really tempted to find relief in lots and lots and lots of food. And when I say lots, I mean lots. And I know that can kind of sound funny, but I'm telling you, it's satanic, okay? It's absolutely satanic. Honestly, I would say it's my version of a, of a struggle with pornography. It's, it's, it's satanic. I can binge on lots and lots of unhealthy food. And, of course, food great. I mean, you can't look at porn, but you can eat food, okay? So food's fine. I'm talking about the way I go after it as a relief, as a, as a refuge, all right? That is satanic. It's satanic because God is our only refuge. Only God is God. So I don't run to God for my refuge. Instead, I run to a bunch of food, and I wonder if there are others who, who struggle with that too. But man, to know, to know that and to be open about that and to fight against that, 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 uh, that false God. You know what I'm doing? I'm waiting for Jesus to come back because I'm getting about doing what Jesus calls us to do as his people. Namely, I'm walking in the light, fighting against sin, seeking God alone as my refuge. This is what Jesus calls us to do. Or, you know, I can think of any number of times when I've lost patience and have been harsh with my kids and I know that I'm not alone in that you can probably think of times when you've been harsh, impatient with your kids. And but, but, but when we humble ourselves, we go to our kids, we confess our sins to them, we ask them to forgive us in those moments. right? What are we doing? We're waiting for Jesus to come back because we're getting on with the business that the Lord has for us. Namely, we're confessing our sins and we're repenting. And in those times too, we're actually discipling our kids. In, in our need for Jesus because of our sin, we are showing our kids a picture of really the fact that all of us need Jesus because of our sin, and they certainly need Jesus because of, uh, of their sin. And in, and in that, we are getting about the, our master's business. We're doing what he's called us to do. Therefore, we are, and, 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 in, that, and in that way, we are preparing for his return and and in this particular case what are we doing we're discipling our kids that's how we're waiting for jesus to come back um again because that's what jesus wants of us now of course jesus doesn't want us to sin not saying that but when we do sin we confess we repent this is uh being obedient to our master jesus so man the examples could go on and on and on and i hope i've repeated it enough here so you get the point that's by design uh we, we, you will walk out of here hopefully knowing what it means to live a life prepared for Jesus to come back. And the, but these examples could go on: reading the Bible with your neighbor or your coworker, or with your kids, supporting missionaries, serving the poor, efforts against racial prejudice, um, help uh, efforts to serve refugees, sharing the gospel in, in in various ways, hospitality to friends and people that we barely know, etc., etc., etc. The list could go on. All of that—that's what it means. I think. For us to keep awake and be sober, waiting for Jesus to come back. It's getting on with doing what our master Jesus wants us to do in, in various ways. It's getting on with this lifestyle of, of faith, of love, of of hope. So, so the day of the Lord, okay, we can't know exactly when that will be, but like we don't want to... Uh, wait for a thief just by sort of staring out that window, shotgun in hand, not doing anything but sitting there. We don't also want to wait for Jesus in the same way. We don't want to wait for Jesus with just staring out the window, Bible in hand. No, the, the, the charge here is that we would live in this joyful anticipation of that time to come. And so we're going to do that simply by getting on with the life that God calls us to because we're his children. Um, it, it's, it's being found by Jesus to be active with what he wants of us in the million expressions of faith, love, and hope. Um, Greg Beale says it this way, and I'm going to give him the last word. He says this. He says that the, the way one should expectantly wait for Christ's return is not by trying to calculate the time of that return, nor by being carelessly unaware of one's relationship with God, but by thinking and living like a genuine Christian characterized by faith, love, and hope. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to um, be gathered together this morning and to have stepped through these verses. And I would again just ask that you would make what's good and right and true in the things that I've said to stick and, and take root in our hearts. If there's things that I've said that are not good, right, and true, then please help us to just let them fall away. Uh, We want to trust you with with, um, help to uh, grow in the ways that are pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.